Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is nothing. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani. And I am Adam Thomas. And uh, Adam, it's our second episode. They said it wouldn't last. I, you know, we beat the odds, man. We really did. Everyone was You're, counting us out. Through love, all is possible. <laughs> Indeed. The true spirit of the podcast is friendship. Yeah. Um, but uh, for those of you who might be new, um, basically for each episode we have two films, um, one of which will be a good movie, one of which will be a bad movie. And keep in mind, this is from just our general perspectives. Generally, we want to try and go either from our perspective or what a movie sort of reputation is and sometimes uh, we might be surprised by how it goes yeah definitely I, I guarantee there's going to be at least one time where one of us picks a bad movie that the other one likes it's, it's going to happen and vice versa with a good movie that the other person doesn't like exactly It'll be very interesting to see. And uh, cool. each week we have a topic from which our two different films will come from. And the topic for this week, in honor of, we got Deadpool 2 coming up, but we just did Marvel movies, so we decided to go with action comedies. the uh, One of the more lucrative and common subgenres out there. Mm -hmm. You don't realize it either, you know, when you think about it. You, you think action movies, and then there's comedy movies, but yeah, you're 100% right, it's... It's huge, the action comedy genre. Well, like, for example, we could have just done this exclusively on buddy cop movies. Like, that's a oh, subgenre yeah, of the subgenre. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's the inception of genres. To the table, um, you this time have two good movies, and I have two bad ones. Yes. So I'll go ahead and pick first from your two movies, and I'll pick a number between one and ten to randomly select which of the good we will do. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna do... Number three. Oh, at number three, right on the button, is 2003's The Rundown with Dwayne Johnson and Sean William Scott. And what was the other choice? <laughs> the other choice at number seven was Beverly Hills Cop. Okay. Um, I've seen Beverly Hills Cop. I have not seen The Rundown, actually. Oh, it's fun. It's just pure fun. It's a real fun movie. I mean, if you're not expecting the greatest movie ever then you know i think you'll enjoy it christopher walken is the main bad guy i just gotta say that i'm very excited so adam i've got two bad movies now Shit. is it bad yeah okay. yeah you do got two bad ones okay uh thomas um i'm gonna go with number four okay at uh number two i have a very interesting choice I'm going with uh, the lost gem from 1988, Miami Connection. <laughs> yes. And, to be fair, very true. Uh, you almost would have, believe me, you wouldn't have won a number seven, which was Lethal right. Weapon 4. Oh, God. You know, yeah. <laughs> I prefer that one to Lethal Weapon 3, though, believe it or not. Well, yeah. I mean, it's got Rene Russo in it. That's enough to make it a bit better but yeah so Miami Connection which is interesting I picked because it isn't trying to be a comedy it's trying to no, be an action movie but it is hilarious it is so hilarious and I really cannot wait to talk about Miami Connection I'm so no. excited to just rewatch that what the fuck <laughs> so Rundown and Miami Connection it's gonna be an interesting double feature we'll be right back with that one job, I wipe your slate clean. You walk out of this house a free man. How much? 250 large. No problem. 
He's come to the other side of the world. Is that duct tape? To finish one last job. I'm looking for a man. His name's Travis Walker. Brown hair, face like a weasel. Do I know you? I'm taking you home, Travis. What's in Los Angeles? Your father. You're not a So angry! Shut up. If only it were that simple. Apparently, he stumbled onto a trinket of some value in my jungle. Yep. I want it back. Wow. And we have returned uh, with uh, having seen our double feature now of the rundown in Miami Connection. Uh, Adam, are you ready? Are you pumped? Are you full of action and laughs? Fred's forever. Fred's for life. It's friends for eternity, loyalty, honesty. But that that's our second feature. Hey, man. Whatever. You know what? Get off my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start off with uh, our first feature, The Rundown, which uh, came out September 25th, 2003, directed by Peter Berg, who started out as an actor. I mean, in terms of his directorial stuff, you probably know him recently as the guy who makes those Mark Wahlberg movies that come out in, like, January or September that appeal to your dad. Yeah, right. Did he do Battleship? He did do Battleship, yes. Oh, fuck. He also did stuff like uh, the Friday Night Lights movie and The Kingdom. Very bad things. This is his second feature, and more importantly, this is the first real, at least like solo, not attached to a franchise kind of vehicle for Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Which It's interesting, because when you brought this up as a double feature thing... We both kind of realized after we did that intro that, like, oh, you know, really kind of fits, because now The Rock is one of the few movie stars still around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, another important thing about this one, I think this is the first one where he went by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Because uh, if I remember right, like, the Scorpion King and stuff, it was just The Rock. Right. And admittingly, that you can correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the bigger wrestling guy, but this was right after sure. he, like, stopped doing WWE, or F, I think, at the time. Was it F at the time? Uh, at the time, it was WWF. Um, yeah, he stopped, he stopped, come back, stop, come back, that type of thing. But yeah, this is definitely one of the first times he went on his uh, hiatus. I think he literally came back two or three more times after this. Right, but that, it was the first time he stopped doing it all the time, because he was obviously yes, first known correct. as the Rock Persona. Interestingly, I remember uh, my dad told me once uh, he would go to the gym a lot, to this one particular Mm -hmm. gym, and he would see um, Rocky Johnson, his father, work out with his little dweeby son. He was like, man, he's getting buff. I wonder what he's going to (laughs) do. I think he did all right for himself. Yeah, he did. And I think that's the big thing that makes the rundown really watchable is it's a really good vehicle for him, particularly... My, my thing is, this is the first time I'd seen the rundown really in full. Right. I realized I'd actually seen clips and pieces from cable, because this was a very big cable, kind of like TNT mainstay um, for like the mid-2000s. But uh-huh. um, the big thing is, the opening of this movie is such a great showcase for all of The Rock's talents. Oh, yeah. In the club? Yes. Yeah, it's such a... What, what a cool scene. I, that's why, I actually, believe it or not, because I was very uh, hesitant about this movie when it's coming out. Because just, you know, it's Sean William Scott being Sean William Scott and then The Rock. I'm like, oh, boy. But then after that scene, I'm like, all right, I can handle this movie. The Rock's going to do all right. And, uh, yeah, like you said, now look at him. He's the biggest action movie star in the world. Yeah, uh, and he's a part of one of the biggest franchises in the world now with the Fast and Furious movies. And even... When movie of his doesn't do that well, it still does pretty decent for itself. Like, even, like, Baywatch wasn't a huge hit, but it made enough to, like, stabilize itself pretty well. Like, The Rock yeah, doesn't... Yeah, it got its budget back, for sure. Yes, which is interesting, because this movie didn't even do that back in 2003. It was made for $85 million, only made about 81 when it came out. It was not one that really made a huge splash. And I can kind of see why, admittingly, because I don't love this movie, but right. I think it's it's... For it being a cable mainstay that it was, it is a great cable movie, which is a dying quality at this point, given you know cable isn't as popular as it used to be. But that's it's it is the perfect movie for you were out all night Saturday and you're pretty drunk, still you're hungover, and you're like, oh man, it's like nine and I'm still up and I hate everything. Let's let me put something on. The rundown's right, pretty TBS good. TBS Superstation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I could agree with that. Like, uh, 
I really like this a lot more when it when I first saw it. It's definitely aged. But you know, I didn't even realize it's been 15 years since this movie was out. But uh, I, there's still I still got a soft spot for it. You know, just Christopher Walken being Christopher Walken was always good for me. Though it's interesting, this, this feels a bit more like Chris Walken, not as much of a joke, because like, around this time, he's doing shit like Kangaroo Jack, where he's being a joke. He is doing the Chris Walken imitation, pretty much just yeah. as, Chris, <laughs> as his performance. Versus here, this feels like it's a bit more intimidating. They're obviously like kind of walking moments, like the Tooth Fairy thing. Or I love that. I love that scene so much. <laughs> Enough, she takes, she takes the tooth and leaves you a goddamn quarter. <laughs> Yeah, or honestly, I really love the scene where him and The Rock actually meet each other at the beginning of the movie, which I think is part of, like, the solid first 15 minutes or so of this movie that I think is honestly great with, like, that club scene. And then they meet each other in Brazil, and I love their back and forth because it shows that, like, Christopher Walken has been the king of this area in Brazil for so long, and I love the shot of his empire with, like, everybody digging. It creates such a great sense of scale, which is something that I think Peter Berg does pretty well. Even in lesser movies like a Hancock and stuff like that, he creates a really great sense of scale on a medium-level budget. Yeah, I can agree with that, absolutely. And the two of them really come off, uh, like, back and forth. The whole thing about, like, you know, I don't go into a person's house and take something out of their fridge without asking them for permission. Stuff like Mm -hmm. that. It it shows that there's a respect, but it's also an intimidation game at the same time playing off each other. Which leads great into, like, the bar scene, where that's an awesome action scene, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the guy with the razor whips for no reason. Oh, God. <laughs> but I like that element of it. It's, it's definitely it's silly, but it's, so it's a fun sequence. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, it almost makes you forget about stuff like... Sean William Scott, I'm very hot or cold on, usually. Especially, like, this era. It's, it seems very clear that this almost seemed like a movie that was more, like, action than comedy. And they got Stifler in, and they're like, oh, we gotta do American Pie stuff. Which uh, oh, 100%. Yeah. That, that, like I said, that's how I was kind of sour on him. It's like, oh, Sean William Scott, hey, just be Stifler in every movie you're in. Yeah, And that's literally true. what it was. This and what? That other horrible action movie of Chow Yun Fat. Oh, God. Oh, Bulletproof Monk. Oh, God. But yeah, he's just Stifler and everything. And in this, he's got a couple funny parts in this movie that didn't bother me too much. But for the most part, yeah, he was... He was completely throwaway for me, and it, which is odd because he's basically, you know, the second main character. Well, yeah, because they're very clearly trying to do Midnight Run, but in like a then modern early two thousands action aesthetic. Which, right. That's an amazing movie, and still maybe the perfect action comedy movie. If you have never seen Midnight Run, Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, what what the fuck are you doing listening to this? Yeah, no kidding. In <laughs> fact, when we were doing this, that was one of I had because I always make like. 10 picks and then whittle it down to two and i always try to pick two that are a little bit more obscure yeah that was on my list for sure that was right up at number one no number two number one i had uh beverly hills cop yes of course but, uh, but uh regardless to to, anyways. yes to get to get back to this uh there's it, it's not so much sean william scott for me because i think him and the rock have a fine chemistry i think it's serviceable it works for the movie but it's more just some of the stuff around them like the the whole scene where the monkeys first attack and like the monkey starts humping the rock's face and just like this we need yeah. this to go yeah. especially for that long I don't know why we need it's a comedic beat that never seems to end while you're watching yeah there was a lot of monkey fuck facing <laughs> there was a lot of it yeah I agree the the real um, immature humor that's the stuff that doesn't hold up at all on a repeat viewing like you got to figure when I first saw this I was just hitting got 20 years old and uh probably under a you know a couple substances <laughs> and i thought it was hilarious to watch it now but like okay all right i get it the, the monkey's screwing his ear and that's great oh five minutes later he's still pile driving the rock's ear fantastic uh you almost find i i there's, there's a lot of grown worthy moments for sure but i mean kino's in it so you know, uh, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Hughes. That's Yes, Ernie Reyes Jr. pops up. He's the human guy who you're like, why is there a human guy following them around? Oh, yeah, because he can kick ass. Yeah, it's Keto, man. He's a badass. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but there's also a lot of interesting other people that are in here. Rosario Dawson, we haven't mentioned yet, doing a terrible Brazilian accent. Horrible. 
poor yeah. one. This was early in her career still. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why. Why not just get someone with an accent? It's This was around that weird time where she was trying to kind of branch out from just being sort of like the hot chick and doing other things. Like, um, this was not too long before, like, Alexander, where she's still, like, in a period piece, but they're exposing her naked anyway. Or Ritz. Yeah. Good God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, but, yeah, it's a shame because, I mean, she, I think she's a very talented actress. Um, and she's, I think, unfortunately sort of got lost after that mid-2000s era. Now she's at least got, like, a steady paycheck with those Marvel TV shows. But... Um, at, yeah. the, at the same time, I, I always liked her natural charisma, and that's why I don't think this role quite works because of that accent. It feels like it's constraining her from her natural charm that I really like in other movies. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree a lot. But, I mean, you gotta figure, though, like you already said, she was still a little bit of green. So, I mean, there was definitely the raw talent there, but it wasn't defined. I, but I think, you know, as for what her character is, as sort of a quasi-love interest for Sean William Scott, and, and even for The Rock in a couple scenes. I think she's a, I think she does a fine enough job. She's a placeholder character. I she's mean, there for exposition. That's pretty much... They're, they're also clearly trying to make her kind of like a Marion Ravenwood, which I would love to see Rosario Dawson do, like a Marion Ravenwood style. I don't take shit, and I don't care about you idiots doing your thing. Um, but... It, yeah, it's not the best written version of that part for her. Um, someone who I think is well cast, though, in the movie is uh, Ewan Bremer, who you might recognize as Spud from Train Spotting, appears as the helicopter pilot guy, the, the plane pilot guy that comes in and gets the rock into the situation. Mm-hmm. And I honestly love him in this movie. I, I, I love him, him, too, man. Anything he's in, though, I'm a fan of his. Yeah. I, I love that guy. Especially him coming in with the fucking bagpipes in that climax. It's, it's such like a fun, spiriting, rousing moment. Or even just like how ramshackle his entire thing is. Like, I know. Like, is that duct tape holding the wig on. <laughs> that dirty-ass knee brace he's wearing all the time. Yeah, he was definitely a cool character. It was such, an, But it's such an odd idea where he's obviously this very, very Scottish guy who's been through the shit, and for some reason he's piloting for illegal shit down in Brazil? Like, it was... places. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, man. <laughs> it was crazy. But yeah, what a cool entry, what a cool thing with him at the end, you know, with his uh, monologue and then the bagpipes with the balls running through. It was so cool. Uh, he's probably, now that I've seen it, you know, that this state of my horrible existence he's probably my favorite character of the movie now i i can see that but at the same time i would say of the characters the rock is the most interesting and defined character to me which i think makes him really the heart and soul of what makes this movie work as much as it does and i i, I do want to get back to that because i i, I kind of like how they introduce small elements that like he you know he wants to be a chef he wants to get better at it and he, you see that kind of motivation in him and he's kind of nervous about it, which admittingly is feels kind of like a, oh you're too afraid to like a girly thing like cooking whatever it feels kind of like it dates the movie but at the same time you can tell he has a passion for that and he also just has a, a real like ability like to go back to that club scene i love the fact that the entire time he doesn't want to do this like he literally says it at a certain point but even in his mannerisms you can tell it's just like look i don't want to make this rough i can make it rough and i'm holding yeah, this back i agree i, I love that when he's calling him you think it's because they all got in his face and everything when he calls um Billy, to tell him, like, you know, I, I don't want to go back in there. I don't want to go back in there. Look, they have a legitimate chance of repeating next year. I do not want to hurt them. <laughs> <laughs> he's afraid that he's going to go in and just take the shit, which he proceeds to do very, very well. Right, and I, but he, I think that's that's a key part. I think what makes, you know, Dwayne Johnson as big of a star as he is, is that as much as he is, like, a big action guy, he has way more of a vulnerability than I think a lot of modern action stars are able to portray. Like, Jason Statham, who is often opposite him, especially in, like, the last Fast and Furious Uh movie, is, like, a fun sort of Charles Bronson um, sort of class of action hero. But there's not that vulnerability. I think that's kind of why he's not nearly as popular as somebody like The Rock. Because The Rock can do not just the big action scenes, but he can be funny. He can have a bit of emotion stuff. Even in a movie as mediocre and Disney as The Game Plan, which was his family movie yeah, like a decade ago. I can't believe I saw that. I don't think I saw that one. No, I gotta he, be honest. He makes that movie watchable because you can tell that this guy, despite how big he is, he has a real heart that you can 
get behind. And I think that's even on display here in this kind of grimy, sweaty, holy fuck, is this movie sweaty action movie. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. You, you, you feel like you stink right after watching it. Like, you're there with them. You, you got to take a shower a little bit. Everybody's just so filthy and nasty. You feel like you've been on a hike with both these guys throughout the whole movie as they've been walking around the jungle endlessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is a big credit to um, Peter Berg's direction. But also, I, I think this is the first movie to really key into that because in like Scorpion King and The Mummy Returns, that character really wasn't that much of a character. Especially Mummy Returns, obviously. Um, but even in The Scorpion yeah, yeah, King, it's he, like... <laughs> yeah, he was barely even in The Mummy Returns. It was against a goddamn stupid cartoon. Yeah, and even Scorpion King, it's it's a second-rate Conan. But here, I think they get to a really one of the heart of what makes, you know, what later down the line, he would end up making work in, say, like a Jumanji or anything else like that, is there's a sincerity behind the big sort of brutish guy. I think you can agree with me. That's a big part of what made some of those wrestlers-turned-actors become as popular as they are, like a Roddy Piper or Andre the Giant, any of those guys. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. Um, well, you got to figure, these guys constantly have to act you know as a wrestler that's constantly what they're doing they're wait, trying to get wait, the crowd it's, it's not real adam uh that... well you know it's real to you buddy it is real to me <laughs> but they got you son of a bitch they got to constantly get home you know they are that's what they do they act now it doesn't always translate well to movie form i mean like hulk hogan that dude's terrible what Santa but, with muscles is a phenomenal cinematic achievement. And we're not suburban Commando, else. dude. Suburban Commando. Well, that's like uh, that's second, but S- Santa with muscles. <laughs> second, right? You're right. My fault. <laughs> or Mister Nanny. Well, that's third. The thing about the Rock is he, he's like you said, he's just got a charm to him, and you know it does help that he is a good-looking dude, and he he's funny, and he's not afraid to take the piss out of, out of himself. Like he he'll make fun of himself he can you know downplay to somebody else he's he's got chops and like you said you definitely see the foundation here as to what he would become now because now he's not a former wrestler the dude is just a movie star like he's other like you said andre the giant Red Red piper those guys were still wrestlers who were in movies this guy is now a bona fide movie star who just used to wrestle a little bit oh uh, what do you think of peter berg's direction I thought it was good. I thought it was, he's, a, he's a DC. He's a pretty good action director. You know, like you said, this, Hancock, and even as bad as the movie was, Battleship still had good action scenes. Like, it was still shot well. I mean, I, I agree with you. Like, we mentioned the whole thing about how it feels very sweaty. Um, the, the action scenes, that you really feel the propulsity of, like, whenever somebody gets punched. Like, especially, like, we've mentioned that club scene, but that, that club scene gets you immediately into every single hit really Mm -hmm. well and gets you immersed in like the confusion of the club and how you're not really able to tell what's going on but at the same time you can see everything that's going on and i think that works in some of the other sequences as well maybe less so when we get to like the running of the bulls thing that just feels madly chaotic but then even then when we get to the rock using the guns which i think is a really solid Chekhov's gun of its own Uh, how, how insane was that (laughs) <laughs> he, he, he's just an absolute marksman with pump-action shotguns. Like, he could just cock him with one hand and with his amazing pectoral muscles or whatever he decides to use. That was so cool. It would make less sense if he sort of had modern rock. Him, The more muscles he has, the less believable that would be. That Like, you can't even move your arm to cock that thing quite. You're, you're too much muscle at yeah, this dude, point. Yeah, dude, like, him as Hobbs, especially in Fast Five, you're like, this guy is just a walking, just ball of just sinew. Like, well, I, I, I started noticing that around Pain and Gain. Pain and Gain was right where I noticed, like, he is... Oh, yeah. He's he more muscle jacked. than man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's just a big bicep with an eyebrow. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. A beautiful olive-colored bicep. <laughs> a sentient bicep. Yep. That's the rock body horror movie we need, is the sentient bicep. That would be amazing. <laughs> David Cronenberg's The Sentient Bicep. Starring Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> and the whole time it's like, kill me! <laughs> so no, yeah, the I, rundown, right? <laughs> yeah, the rundown. I, you know, this movie does everything right for what it's trying to be. We're trying to be an action movie. Yeah, the comedy, some of it does feel a little tacked on. 
But the action scenes are fantastic. Like, obviously, we mentioned the club scene, but even the scene where he's fighting um, Ernie Reyes and all of them, they're diving out of trees and kicking him from person to person. It, it was really cool, really fun. Um, the whip guy, that was really cool. It's just, man, Sean William Scott, I, it, he's hard to swallow for me. I, I don't know. I think the, the best crystallization of Sean William Scott, who, like I said, sometimes I find him funny, sometimes I find him painfully annoying, is Goon, the first one. Absolutely. That is still yeah. like the oh, perfect cool. use of him because he's a lovable, schlubby guy who just has like this impulse to like hurt people. <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. kind of more where he fits perfectly and here he's sort of just like it, it help it doesn't help that his character is like you're the son of this rich guy and you're being like a piece of shit and it's kind of the character it's it's kind of something that's like ingrained to work to what the stifler kind of thing is and really i only thought stifler really worked the first time it, it just got really annoying after that point well it got too over the top in the first movie he was just a prick yeah and the second one he's an idiot like he wasn't stupid in the first one he was just a quintessential prick jock character you know, homophobic here, you know, just asshole from high school. And the second one, and then they, he just became comedic relief, and it was just... And then, unfortunately, those movies were... Well, not unfortunately, I guess, good for them, but they were hit movies. But because of that, you know, he got typecast, and he he was in everything as that character. But I think that's what's really hurt his career as of yet, is really just the fact that, like, those movies were really successful when he was younger, but everyone just knows him as Stifler. He'll forever be Stifler. And like you said, typecasting, I think, has really kind of hurt his career up to this point. I think, to be fair, there are points where he's in terrible movies, and I think he's one of the few good things about them. Like, Cop Out, for example, I think he's no wasted. Oh, he was he was the, the only good part of that movie. Exactly, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can absolutely agree with that. That, In fact, if I would have got your option, they had to do the bad choices, that was, one of my, that was my choice. This podcast would have been over after two episodes. I can't believe you. I can't. No, but my fa- my favorite Sean William Scott uh, roles of late, other than the goon, was just in the one-off episode of "It's Always Sunny." It's Country Mac. Oh, that was pretty great too. That was so funny. Country Mac was so awesome. And that's another one where it works because he fits that kind of character. The oh, it's always sunny character, where mm-hmm. their heart is in the right place, but they're too much of an asshole to see <laughs> that they're right. being. This much of oh, like, but The Rock also, I think, is really plays off of him well. I think it's a lot of he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting, and The Rock can do that. But I, I think in even uh-huh. like the the scenes where they're kind of um, butting heads together, uh, he does I think most of the more interesting stuff. Like even especially in sort of like the almost all is lost moment where they're like, oh, we're gonna have to leave. But it's like, but no, but she's got my treasure and everything. What do you what are you doing? Why why would you leave at this point? And he convinces Rock to essentially go off and do that. And even, like, reacting off of, like, say, the big gun thing later on, like, I, I, I that is my favorite John William Scott biz, him walking off. It's like, you know, you really need to get help. That was pretty terrible. You just <laughs> murdered all those men. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was really good. bad. It seems kind of like they wanted to make sort of a franchise off of this. Do you think this is a movie that could have sustained a franchise, or do you think the one-and-done fits fine for it? I'm glad it's a one-and-done. You know, because unfortunately, if they would have done a sequel, it would have been more of, you know, Beck and Travis. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing if going out is more like Indiana Jones route, where it's just Dwayne Johnson's character getting into other, you know, crazy hijinks and shenanigans. But uh, it would have been more Sean William Scott than Dwayne Johnson, or they would have just been the same movie over and over and over again. So I'm glad it was just a one and done deal. I concur with you about, I would love to see Dwayne Johnson's character sort of continue on his sort of weird stripe that's been going on. Maybe see a few earlier adventures since he wants to like kind of quit the business at this point. Right. Uh, I'd like to see him just being a sort of fixer that's going around or, you know, getting the protection money, all this other shit. I would like to see him kind of do that, but be regretful about it. I think that would be interesting. Um, But, you know, then again, just ride another vehicle like that for The Rock. I think he can do that pretty well. I agree, Only at this point, once again, it's just like somebody like sees this guy, and there's there wouldn't be the moment like at the beginning of the club thing where he's like the football players doubting him, just like whatever, man, get the hell out of here. The moment yeah. you see like the Rock now, you're like, here's my money, right? Do whatever you want. Me. Good lord, <laughs> he would turn you into a muppet. He would just yeah, stick his hand sure. right up your ass and just make you a muppet. Absolutely, I I hope so. Anyways. Um, well, you know, you would only do something like that with somebody personal, somebody who you really trust, and somebody like a friend, like the oh. friends you see in Miami Connection. 
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We have a special treat for you today. We have a new house band with a new dimension in rock and roll. We have the one, the only, Dragon Sound. This was the movie that I picked, and I picked it because I mentioned this in the intro, but I wanted to do something that it's clearly trying to be an action movie, which those of you who don't know, for some reason maybe not have seen Miami Connection, stop, watch Miami Connection, then come back, we'll talk. I think more people have probably seen the Rift Tracks version of it than the actual movie. Which, the Rift Tracks is fun, obviously, but... Oh, it's hilarious. There's, there's so much genuine charm to Miami Connection, which, as I said, is trying to be an action movie but ends up becoming a comedy in a wonderful way that so many movies try to create. Like, there, there are so many attempts at being a bad, cheeky movie, wink at the camera. But what works about a Miami Connection or other movies of its ilk, like The Room, or what, what, where are some other ones, Adam? The, the good, bad movies. So bad, it's good. Uh, like Samurai Cop. Samurai Cop, that's a great one, right. Stone so, Cold, The Toxic Event, almost anything Trauma did, like early Trauma. Right, but what works about those movies is that there's a very much a sincerity going on. They're, they're clearly, especially like this has so many parallels to the room for me in terms of this feels so much like an authentic immigrant story, like an immigrant's perspective on what the American dream is. Which Absolutely. Is, which, for those of you who don't know, the basic premise of Miami Connection is it follows a group of ostensibly oh college students, some of which look like they're in their mid to late thirties. Um, no, no, dude. No, 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 no. Mark isn't like his 40s. Easily. <laughs> Easily. Are going to UCF, uh, actual on-campus University of Central Florida, and are, you know, just together. They're all orphans, or orphans, as <laughs> Mark pronounces it, um, that are just trying to, you know, study and have fun while practicing Taekwondo and also being part of a band called Dragon Sound. And they uh, run into this um, sort of evil samurai faction of Orlando I didn't know about. Um, who are they? Are they samurais or ninjas? Because don't they do a song about ninjas? Well, they do against the ninja. That's true. I, they're, they're, they all dress in ninja garb. There's a sect of ninjas who also are really tight with like the club owners, like especially the evil club owner. In that amazing scene where the two club owners argue with each other for no sense of real reason. Just like, hey man, I want to talk to you. You're just playing music for fucking kids, man. That's what you do. <laughs> um, and, you know, Dragon Sound uh, has to stop this evil faction of ninjas while also at the same time dealing with themes of uh, paternity and, uh, oh and community. Yeah. And... and don't forget about Jeff. <laughs> Jade's brother Jeff, <laughs> fucking feather earring. Okay, he <laughs> a big mustache. Has, well, he has the beard too, and he has my favorite line in the whole movie where she said, "Where she says to him, just like, oh no, he's just a friend, a friend." <laughs> like the way he says, "a friend," is I know, the and best. he's so un- he's so not intimidating in any way. Oh my like, god. He's just got that high pitched voice and like skinny little arms. And he's, <laughs> he's always showing him off. You know, like, he's oh, so man. trying to be Chuck Norris. Like, oh, you can tell he really oh, wants god. to be Chuck Norris and he can't be Chuck Norris at no. all. But, but he, doesn't okay. know, he doesn't know karate. <laughs> not, not at all. So, but Adam, Adam, we can't make yeah. this all laughing. So, oh, it's, that's going to be a rough one. Go ahead. Where was the first time you discovered Miami Connection? When did you first watch Miami Connection? Now, this is one of those things that I thought I had seen it before, and then my wife and I watched the Rift Tracks version of it quite a while ago, and the whole time, I mean, I, I was laughing my ass off, and I'm like, I think I might have seen this. So I really think this is one I caught in the early 90s somewhere. Like, I think I had to have rented it, because me and my uh, brother growing up were into any martial arts movie we could get our hands on. So I want to say I saw it in the early 90s. Well, I'm not sure if that's quite the case, because the story of Miami Connection is fascinating. 
in terms of it originally premiered in 1987 in Cannes. Y.K. Kim, the director, co-writer, star, uh, who plays Mark, uh, brought the film to Cannes and rented out a theater at Cannes to screen to distributors. And they all said, this is trash, throw it away, no one's going to watch this. Then he premiered it in Orlando in a brief run where everybody hated it including a famous Orlando Sentinel review that completely said, like, worst film of 1988 and all this other stuff. And so it was abandoned. He didn't do anything with it until a guy who went with the uh, Alamo Draft House, Zach Carlson, literally bought a print off of eBay for $35 and started screening it at the Alamo Draft House in Austin, Texas. And it became such a huge hit that it got redistributed through the Draft House in 2012 or so. Hmm. Um, so it was, but I don't blame you at the same time for thinking this was a like an early '90s cable sort of bad kung fu action movie release because it feels like that, but in a way that's so much more unique because of, like I said, this earnestness of YK Kim to make a story about oh family God. and community, which is really interesting considering I there's a great Vice mini documentary that they made about Miami Connection that you can find on YouTube. It's called Taekwondo Rockers vs. Cocaine Dealing Ninjas, The True Story of Miami Connection, where apparently YK Kim for the last few decades has been, after he you know came to America and started out penniless, started building up an industry as a Taekwondo teacher. And now he is like huge, but when Miami Connection came out, it bankrupted him. It was, like, a big thing that, like, he sucked all his money into it, and his family was literally bankrupted. I can see that. Yes, but then he rose back up in his empire and now embraces Miami Connection. Wait a second. Stop. No, I'm not. Jeff doesn't have a fucking empire. He he has a very successful business of Taekwondo places in, especially the Florida Florida area. He holds huge seminars that get thousands of people. I'm not kidding. Okay, I believe you. I'm just... <laughs> but no, he has... Alright, okay. he has a very strong business ethic, and it still is flourishing to this day. Oh, it's like it, an empire. It's Yes, it's a very small <laughs> empire. It's like... It's a micro-nation of sorts. Oh, gotcha, okay. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, but no, he has a... He has a very successful, thriving business, and he makes a difference in his community, especially in early... I recommend that thing so much, that little documentary that shows so much about him as... uh, That really feeds into that sincerity that's here in Miami Connection, which is very cheesy, very inept, but in a way that you can't help but smile throughout. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right, let's just call it what it is. This is a terrible film. Yes. I mean, it is absolutely atrocious. It's... but it is not unwatchable, atrocious. It Far is from it. just yeah. It it's so fun and just pure in that cultish midnight movie way. Just fun and hilarious, unintentionally hilarious, which is insane to me. But this really goes to show, like like you said earlier, like Tommy Wiseau with these foreign movie lovers and everything they want to make a movie from the american perspective and they've never really been in america so they're basing what they think america is on other things that they're getting like other movies or magazines or entertainment and it's just so odd like it's just everything's just turned a little pit especially the idea of of male friends yes friendship in general obviously in the room where they're just in their tuxedos, throwing a football back and forth for no reason. Well, in this one, they're always like shirtless and pantsless outside, running to get the or mail. Or some of them have pants, but they're clearly just completely zipped down and unbuttoned. Which is <laughs> my—it's my favorite thing ever in this movie. That guy is my favorite thing in this movie. When he's crying about his dad, oh my god, I lost it. I was almost, I almost, I swear to God, I thought I was going to pass out. I was laughing so hard. It's the worst crying performance I've ever seen. It's so loud it's, and it's, nasally. It's Maurice Smith as Jim, the uh, Korean and Black American um, <laughs> keyboardist. With this gray, like, slacks on, but it just says tidy ways, completely chill it, because he's got yeah. it completely unzipped. Yes, this whole sequence that Adam's referring to, in which he gets a letter uh-huh. about his father, who, once again, they're all orphans, so he di- they have no idea of their biological parents, 
and he just finds out about it, just like, but, but father, was in the services, and I sent some letters. It's so great, especially, like, what makes it is the fact that all of the guys around him completely are just like, oh man, he's having a breakdown, this is so sad, our friend. I know, it's, it's like trying to console it so bad. And then YK Kim, when he's, dude, like, just schooling the dude around with his toes, where he's grabbed him by the nose with his toes, <laughs> while they're just practicing their, you know, taekwondo in the, uh, you know, in the quad at college. <laughs> he's just pulled around. I, I mean, what is going on? And, dude, why does YK Kim have to, like, mimic playing guitar? Why does he got to be the guitarist? Oh god, but we so bad. It, it, it's pretty bad. Like, because some of them, like I know the the main guy, the the no, Angelo Gennati, the, the John Oates guy. Yeah, I know he wrote all the songs and he's actual like singer. Which I I honestly will say, as cheesy as all of these songs are, you kind of get into it. They're so <laughs> catchy. Um, there's Friends for Eternity. There's um Against the Ninja, which is exceptionally yeah. catchy, <clears throat> and has the great chorus of Taekwon Taekwon. <laughs> insanely catchy. I'm sad that it's not on iTunes. I want to buy these songs, honestly. That's what I'm saying, dude. I, I tried to get it on Spotify. I tried to get it on iTunes. I tried to get it anywhere. I can't get it anywhere. It's only you can find on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's literally, which is a shame. Draft House, put those out. Put a digital album out. I will buy it instantly of these songs. And Absolutely. This, oh, my God. It's, it's so fun. And but yeah, it's the whole concept of like all these friends who are totally together, and I love the fact that it's so much of a bloody, gory, crazy action movie. And the end title card is only through stopping violence can we achieve world peace. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? I know. After, what after after Mark just like just killed twenty or to thirty ninjas, like violently killed them. Oh yeah, only in, in in a bit that I'm surprise wasn't intentionally comedic because it feels like perfectly orchestrated like action comedy where yk kim goes over to maurice smith who's like dying like i'm dying and then meanwhile in the background the other guy is it's like trying to come over and then a ninja comes in and he attacks him while this dramatic scene's going on in the foreground I know. it's I know. so perfect it's 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 ridiculous <laughs> now i don't think anybody in this but yk kim actually knew Taekwondo. What? No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't think they did. And that alone goes to show what kind of movie you're in for. It is a Taekwondo martial arts movie with one person that knows how to do martial arts. Yeah. Oh, and as I said, he's also the rhythm guitarist of Dragon Sound. That that name is so great. It's so much this... When you watch it, kind of feel like for a second, like, is this like a parody of 80s movies? And then it's just like, no, it's just... It's like I said, it's through that weird perspective of somebody who clearly knows only about America through, like, action cinema of this era. Yeah, exactly. It it just... It feels so much like it's that distilled perspective that makes it an instant classic in terms of just unintentional comedy. And I love that every member of the band, like, it's obvious what nationality they are and everything else, like, what their, um, you know, genealogy is. Like, the Italian, there's the Italian guy, the um, Korean and African-American guy, and, you know, the Korean, it's it's crazy. No, nowhere does a ragtag group like that exist except for, like, the fucking Olympics. Like... It was I don't know, but it, so it, it, funny. It was ahead of the curve. It was very diverse. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, I, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a terrible thing. Keep them separate. <laughs> but it's, it's just it's so funny to me. I don't know why. I just find it so he had everything represented in this one really phony band. It's definitely the, the so idealized in a way that is kind of infectiously charming. Especially when, like we said, that that contrast of like, oh hey, we're all friends. We all, you know, just we just want to play our music and then go eat at the, the um, what was it, Uncle Sonny's uh, fucking <laughs> restaurant and, and just be friends. I love that guy too. <laughs> who was the other director, by the way, the yeah. uh, Wyke Kim's co-director Wu Sang Park, who would later direct a lot of like schlocky sort of B um, action sort of ninja movies that mm-hmm. came out because the ninja movie was a pretty like under a B movie, but still a 
fervent craze amongst especially like oh, stocky yeah. sort of second rate studios like Canon. And you can tell that once again this is him trying to kind of cash in on that. But the the action of this movie is also amazingly inept. Like you can tell, there's Taekwondo in terms of like, all right, there's basic like self defense stuff that's going on. Like honestly, the one scene where some of the action kind of works, but it's still ridiculous, is the whole scene where they're just driving down like what seems like it's probably like four in the morning when they didn't have to get any permits and they could just shoot something. Really oh my quick. god, that and was. And then so everybody crowds around them. And, like, you can see YK Kim actually doing some kind of kick-ass Taekwondo moments, but once again, so many of these shots are clearly, like, really quick setups, like, okay, run around this corner, you run around this corner, YK Kim will kick your face, and then we'll keep going, because the cops right. are going to come. <laughs> and yet, nobody has any real weapons, they just got, like, chains, and, like, sticks and stuff. <laughs> like, what kind of shitty gang is this? And there was a lot of them. Yes. But they just had, like, sticks and chains and, like, a bottle, you know, here and there that they would break. Interestingly enough, most of those extras, like, I would, from what I've heard, it's a solid, like, 90% of the cast, isn't, like, our main core members, are students of YK Kim. Also, a lot of the crew was that, which you can clearly tell. And the the bikers were all real bikers. Who were paid in beer, which is great, and you can tell. I would take that. Yeah, I would take that. (laughs) And there's just this interesting vibe, especially of, like, uh, Orlando in the late 80s. It just oozes a lot of that kind of, like sunny sleaze that's going on the whole time Mm. um but it's once again it's the contrast of that with the idealized like we're gonna be friends and we go to college and we are we're fourth place in our computer competition let's go get pizza now the reason it's so charming and so endearing is because he took it very seriously you can tell right which is why when you get something like say a sharknado where they're clearly trying to be bad. Oh, when they're in on the jokes, it ruins it. Yeah, yes, 100%. It's, it's all the difference in the world between Birdemic and Birdemic 2. Which, or, yeah, right, or, exactly. or to, an example you use, Samurai Cop versus Samurai Cop 2. Oh, man. Not to get into it, but I watched Samurai Cop 2 and 3. I watched them. There's a 3? I, I didn't even yeah. know there was a 3. Oh, that's Yeah, terrible. it's on Prime. It's the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. I kid you not. I've seen but, a lot but, of but I'm guessing it's because he was in on the fact that people were making fun of him, as opposed to... Yeah, dude, right, exactly. Insane. It's funny you brought up Birdemic, and not to go on a tangent, but I remember when Birdemic came out, and the director of that pulled the same thing that Tommy was so pulled. They're like, oh, I meant it to be funny. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Not the first one, you didn't. Stop it. You're not a, some genius auteur who was on the pulse of something. You just made it a, a shitty, cheap movie. Works about like a YK Kim, which I think is so interesting. Is he's a guy who, when you watch that Vice documentary, it's clearly just like, look, I just had a brief dream of wanting to like make it out in Hollywood. It didn't work, but now he appreciates it. Like people like it, but he's not trying to cash in on it and do Miami Connection too, which would be the biggest mistake ever. Yeah, good for him, man. Yeah. I mean, honestly, good for him because it'd be easy for him to find the funding from somebody to go ahead and make it, or even just fund it himself and you know keep all the the take from it but i yeah that's that's really cool but he's like it is what it is (laughs) right exactly and it's something in the past but he still appreciates the warmth that it brings to people even if it's just through laughing at how inept it is he Mm -hmm. he he understands and rides with the joke as opposed to cashing in on the joke in a wonderful right Uh, but what are some other scenes we haven't mentioned oh god dude well like i said there's the letter reading well, there's the letter out. reading, but there's the reaction to that when he actually gets the letter that confirms about the father. That's my favorite scene with Maurice Smith, where he opens. Now, is like, it the one where he's crying, or the one where he's no, 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 excited? not the one where he's crying. The one where he's super excited, which is like, "My father, my father, oh my god, oh my father, oh my god!" And then they all raise him up, dude. I know. I. It's so funny that you even said those words. They raise him up because when we were watching it. I started singing Josh Groban. <laughs> you, you kind of almost when you hear like you raise I, me up <laughs> you really do dude he's like oh and then YK with his horrible accent like he's got the worst broken English dude but he's like oh yeah your father he found you and you're like oh yeah dude they are really pumped for him grown ass shirtless men out of the yard at 8am after the mail came but, throwing each other around the yard and shit because one of them found their fucking dad who was in NASA or some shit. He was in the services, and by the way, 
an underrated terrible thing about the movie is when they cut to the final scene of them in the hospital waiting room and the mm-hmm. dad is clearly the same age as them but they put oh shitty gray it's stuff so in their hair. I'm so glad you found my son I had at three years old <laughs> <laughs> I love the beach montage too oh god which feels so much like once again that's another example like he probably saw a Porky style movie that's and just it like, lasts for way too long oh so long <laughs> And especially that whole thing where it's like, give me a kiss. Come on, just a kiss. And then the girls just, like, beat him up. I know, they kicked the living shit out of him. Everybody's laughing and stuff. Like, this is awful. What is going on? Like, A, he's, like, really being sexually aggressive. Yes. And they just decide, like, nah, we're going to beat the shit out of this guy in the middle of the daytime in front of everybody. And nobody's going to stop it on either end. So it's just a bunch of shitty people on that beach. I don't know, but I don't know. With those girls, like, he's being sexually aggressive. You kick his ass trying to be creepy. He was being really sexually aggressive. Yeah, fuck that guy. Fuck Oates. I liked Hall anyway better. Get out of here. Oh, Um, man. Freaking mustache. uh, uh, Oh, it's an amazing mustache. Look, I'm not decrying the facial hair. Um, You know, a a scene I love is, like, we haven't really talked about some of, like, the, the scenes that are clearly trying to be, like, almost like a Miami Vice scene. Like, especially where we see, like, the sort of henchmen toadies at the beginning meet the ninjas and the action that goes on there with, like, the use of gore in this movie is fascinating. Where sometimes it's just like, oh, it's just a small streak. And then in another scene, a guy's head explodes because it gets hit. Like, yeah, it's insane. Like, when uh, Maurice gets his chest cut. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like, like your internal like, organs dead. should be out of I'm him. like, he is so dead. Like, he just got cut in half. And nah, he lives, man. He's fine. They just patch him up. Well, especially when they goes over to the hospital and they're on the oh, roof, like we're going to the hospital, we'll be there soon. And the guy just looks like he's nodding off, sleeping. I'm like, why would it, his heart? You can see his heart. <laughs> like he, he's dead, man. And then I got really confused because it's like there's all the ninjas in the beginning, and then there's no ninjas for like almost an hour because it's then it's all like Jack and the biker and all that, and then ninjas again. What is going on here? Are well, they? <laughs> all right, and also, okay, one of my favorite things, especially upon this watch that I just love, is um, you have Jack's sister, um, who's the only female, really, that's in the main cast and just clearly uses a prop. And la- oh, she's, su- she's, she's such a prop, though, that later on there's the point where after they kill the brother in a giant action scene, and of course it's the villain death of him falling over, appear like, what? He's like, Ugh, on the ground, <laughs> dead. And then it cuts over to, like, John and Jane. Um, right before they go yeah. off to like meet Jim's father, and he's just like, "Hey, I'm sorry about what happened with your brother." Oh no, it's fine. I understand. That happened like 48 hours ago. Hey, your brother me. died, and also was part of like died. a, and was also you found out a part of like a big cocaine smuggling ring in Orlando. That's a lot. That's a <laughs> lot to deal with. And she's like, "Oh no, it's fine. I understand why." Right? She's like, "No, it's cool." I get it. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. Oh, it's cool, boy. Boys will be boys, am I right? <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I think I'd be a little more upset whether or not my brother was a dick or not. Like, <laughs> some dude threw him off, like, some construction equipment or a pier, and he got impaled. I- I'd be a little more upset about it. Did I notice, and was I, am I crazy, or is there scenes where he had a full beard and then he'd have a mustache and then a full beard again? I wouldn't doubt it. I'm not sure. I'm almost I would positive. Not doubt it at all. If you notice, I was very obsessed with his facial hair and the facial hair in general in this movie because oh. it is all immaculate. Yes, that's true. It's the most consistent thing about the movie. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe not. After what I just said, I don't know. <laughs> that well, might be it, the brilliance. And there's so much of like the patchwork you can tell because a big thing was after they did the main shooting and after the can screening. Um, YK Kim reshot a lot of stuff, like the ending, where it originally Jim was supposed to die, and, and all the distributors were like, "No, you shouldn't do that. You should just live." Like that's a downer to end the movie on. Um, and they he also reshot apparently a lot of those action sequences that happened. Like you can tell, like when the main white ninja, um, you see mm-hmm. most of the time, it's clearly like oh an actual stunt performer. Um, and then they cut to the big showdown between him and YK Kim, and it's clearly a completely different guy, who I think is white. Oh, yeah. Like, based yeah, on the hands, guy. he's clearly yeah, no, he's white. white dude. Yeah. <laughs> After seeing this other Asian dude the whole time. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, no, it's clearly just some white guy now. Um, so, yeah, he does, Yeah, that explains a lot, though, that he had to go do reshoots. And, and then, so, 
whose idea was it to put that text at the end of the movie? That's what I want to know. I, maybe it's YK Kim's. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. It's so weird to me. Just I don't understand. After, especially that whole sequence, we have to emphasize it in like the forest area, is so unbelievably horrifically gory at points. It is just yeah, like, dude. They're just hacking at people to shit, man. Especially, there's so many shots of like John like stabbing somebody with the sword with blood on his face, like, Aah! and then YK Kim also has like that weird like underbite coming out, looking like uh, no. <laughs> the whole time. And then only through nonviolence can we achieve world peace. It's it's the perfect comedy note to hit on. It's he's just uh, striking comedy gold at every second and not intending really it at all. Is. I know that's like I said, that's what makes it so good. Yes. Because he's not trying to be funny. And those are always the funniest people in the funniest movies. When they're not pandering and they're not pushing it too hard to be funny. I mean, because this movie is just pure comedy gold. <laughs> it really is. And would you classify it then as an action comedy? I I classify it as an unintentional action comedy. Well, it's weird. It's intentional action, unintentional comedy. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect way. Perfect. How many other movies would be in that subgenre, though? Uh, is that Samurai Cops there? Stone Cold, Brian Bosworth. <laughs> right. That movie's hilarious. Uh, a lot of the old Steven Seagal and Van Damme movies. Like, dude, you can't watch Kickboxer or Bloodsport and not laugh. Oh, my God. They're so funny. The Van Damme dancing. Oh, my God. And is it because they're dated? Sure, man. We're laughing a lot of, at a lot of it now because it's the 80s cheese factor that was everywhere. It's just, it's so magical. Well, but I, <laughs> my thing is, I would say it's less a case of, like, oh, this is dated in term. It's more a thing of, it's a time capsule. It is a movie firmly made in the mid to late 80s. And it's oh yeah, and that's what it ended up being. Given that you know how the draft house guys discovered it, it was literally just like undiscovered treasure that was just found on an eBay for thirty five dollars. Like you discovered gold for I mean, pure pure gold, pure uncut cocaine <laughs> gold. Um, and it, it's it's magical to see, and it is. It feels like it's a movie that was unearthed. In terms of like it's something that you would like find in the woods. You're like, what is this tape? And then you watch and you're like, oh my god, how has no one ever seen this before? This is so amazing. Um, but yeah, I, are there any final thoughts about Miami Connection, Adam? I mean, honestly, the only thing I can say is if if you know our millions and millions of listeners, if there's one of them that hasn't seen this, then they're missing out. You, you gotta see this. Man. Yes, I mean this movie is just pure gold. There's nothing else like it. This is definitely one of those one-of-a-kind movies. And even if you only do catch the Riff Tracks one, it's still worth it. Because the Riff Tracks guys, you know, they're hilarious. And the movie's still, you can still watch the whole movie. It's funny, too. I mean, I recommend seeing the non-Riff Tracks version first. But if that's the only one you can catch, then watch it. Yes, and I'll just state that um, only through non-violence can we achieve world peace. And on that note, that's the end of our discussion on Miami Connection. Um, as we're wrapping up here, we do want to mention uh, we've released our first episode uh, and got uh, some feedback from people. One from Jeff L., who says, Very stoked to hear about your new show. Best wishes, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate it. Thank that. you, Jeff. Um, also from Scott Crawford, uh, who said, Just finished listening to the episode one and loved it. Thank you, Scott. And then, Yeah, uh, you know, Scott, Scott, he's all right, man. I met him. He's all right. I would, you know, he's okay. <laughs> and uh, we also want to thank uh, Lance Langford, who said, yes, Ghost Rider's the good one, right? I mean, clearly. <laughs> Obviously, man. What is, come on, double L. That's some better <laughs> questions. Yes. <laughs> um, we also want to thank Chris Oliver uh, for the music used on our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. It's, uh, he's got some good tunes the kids all like. It's not Dragon Sound. Right, no. And there's hundreds of them. Yes. So, you got plenty to listen to. Yes, and uh, we want to also encourage you to find us on Twitter at DEDBpod, or also at DoubleEdgeDoubleBill at gmail.com, or you can also follow us at our own individual accounts on Twitter, which is at NotTheWho'sTommy for me, and Adam... (laughs) God damn it. At Malekithfan6969. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm keeping it. That's it forever. Now, now you got to own it. 
I'm, I, I mean, I might as well at this point. Yes. Um, and uh, that is the end of our second episode. Now, Adam, uh, we got to get out there because we have to practice for our big show tonight. We're Dragon Sound. We're friends for eternity. Let's go. Friends for eternity. Friends for night. Friends forever. <laughs> That's the kind of music you're missing if you're not at the clubs in Orlando, guys. Good night. Good night.